0: We are on the way now. We've been in this journey series for a couple weeks now. And what we're doing is we're looking at different kind of starting points of journeys that end up connecting with God. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we started with one who is feeling distant from God and finding out that God hears you, God sees you. So we looked in the Old Testament at Hagar's story. then last week, we started the journey in Doubt, like realize, the word, and usually doubt, well, shame on you. You shouldn't have, but finding out that no, Jesus welcomes you in your doubt to connect with him. And so Johnny did a great job taking us to the story of Thomas in the New Testament. And we looked at that. This week's journey is about not a church kid. Sometimes the story starts out there. That's where the journey starts. Not a church kid. Let me get at it this way. Perhaps you've heard that college, the college campus can be a boogeyman that steals Christians away in the night. Have you heard this idea? And the idea is, listen, you've got to be careful sending your kids off to college because they will lose their faith there, especially if it's a state school. They will lose their faith. Not really. They'll lose their religion, and if that's all they had, they will probably lose it. If they were just riding the coattails of mom and dad's religion, they will likely lose that. But if they started out leaving high school, they've got this connection with Jesus, and it's faith, and they love him, and they want to walk with him. They likely will at college and beyond. College does not steal faith. It clarifies faith. And you see that in the verse like 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Right about now, you're going to... Read. Are we off track here? I thought this was about a journey. What are we doing right now? Here's here's why this matters. What it does is it reveals a Christianity that is family-oriented instead of kingdom-oriented. And that's the point here. So instead of spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom and watching lost ones come into faith relationship with Jesus. That's not the goal. The goal is actually this instead. The goal is that we, the good religious people, right? We, the good religious people give birth to kids and then we raise them in the church. We baptize them and then we hope they stick. It is a Christianity that is focused on physical birth instead of spiritual birth. And the goal is for the good religious people to protect our kids, and therefore, college is a boogeyman and a scary one. That's Christianity for a lot of people, just not for Jesus. (laughs) That's not the Christianity that Jesus died for. Jesus came, it says in the scriptures, to seek and to save the lost. That's that's what Jesus is about, not just to try to hold on to the good church kids. So Jesus is all about redemption. He loves taking one who is lost, who is far from him. It could be a child, it could be an adult, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. He doesn't care. He takes one far from him, and then he draws her, he draws him to himself. And there is this spiritual rebirth, and that one becomes a disciple of Jesus, loving him, walking with him. Worshiping him, serving him. It's gorgeous. That's what Jesus does. And so if we're going to talk about journeys, we might want to talk about a journey that starts out with not a church kid. And that's what we're going to do. We'll actually do that by starting out in Luke 19. Here's what it says there. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, so... Pause there. Jesus is walking around, and he's ministering village to village to village, and he enters this village called Jericho. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So who was Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. (laughs) A wee little man was he. It's actually a children's song. That's not how the scriptures identify him at all. Zacchaeus is not a church kid. Actually, what it says about him is he is a tax collector. Now, that's, there's something we have to unpack there. Cause we don't like the IRS. Agreed? Yeah. Uh, but this is a whole different ballgame. Okay. Because remember, he's in Israel. Israel at that time had been conquered by Rome and was under Roman occupation. So what's going on is the taxes that are being raised, they're not going for Jewish schools and Jewish roads. At least we have that privilege here in America. They're going to ours. No, instead, they're going back to Rome. That's where the 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 taxes go to support the wicked lifestyles of the Roman aristocracy. And they go to fortify the Roman army, the one that conquered you and is occupying your country, making it harder and harder to get rid of them. That's where taxes are going. These are taxes not from Jews for Jews. These are taxes from Jews for Rome. But who collects them? (laughs) That's the thing. They would uh, get Jews to collect the taxes. So Zacchaeus is a Jew. And they would be viewed as traitors to their people. Easily the most hated people in their culture were tax collectors. One rabbinic tradition taught that it was an unforgivable sin to be a tax collector. Doesn't matter if you repent, doesn't matter if you come to Jesus, light bulb, doesn't matter, you're done, you're going to hell, nothing you can do about it. Too bad, so sad, you are a tax collector. You're an outsider, you are not a church kid. So who would want that job? Well, the people that would take that job were those who were criminals and thugs before Rome came to town, right? They, They were already in that lifestyle, now it just gets legalized, how cool is that? And so they'd take the job, and they would become really rich. You see it at the end. He was rich. Became fabulously wealthy. See, there was an incentive system. Uh, what happened is the tax collectors had to give a set amount to Rome. I don't know if it was every month or quarterly. I don't know. But they had to give a set amount to Rome. But whatever they could squeeze out of people above and beyond that was theirs to keep. And so the taxes were burdensome. They were not fair. There was no, like, 1040, uh-uh. That's not happening. Like, you, you would just get wrung dry over and over. And by the way, the tax collectors, these Jewish people, would get a Roman guard to escort them. It was basically legalized theft. People hated tax collectors. And Zacchaeus, you'll notice, is not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. He's not just a traitor. He's like a really successful top dog trader. Nobody likes this guy. He is not a church kid. Well, granted, there was no church at the time, right? Uh, But he would be viewed as outside the religion, not welcome in synagogue, outside of polite society. He was immoral. He was lost. I mean, he was lost, lost. He was lost. What if? What if Jesus didn't come just to protect and maintain the good church kid? What if Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? What if that's why Jesus came? And so let's continue in the story. In verse 3 it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I think this is a favorite kid's story because you can just picture it, right? I mean, it's it's so visual and you can see it. But one of the things I hope you see is that Zacchaeus was not interested in religion at all. He did not run into a synagogue. That's not what he did. He wasn't interested in religion, but he was curious about Jesus. Now that's interesting, like why? I well, Remember, this guy is fabulously wealthy. Like hedonism on display, this guy has the life. In today's standards, he'd have a private jet, vacation homes, he'd have servants, the best wine, the best food. This guy is sad. Why, why does he need Jesus? His life lacks something. He feels it down deep in his soul. Something is missing. He's, he's saying to himself, it feels like I'm made for something more. There's like some ache down deep in my soul. Maybe God has something to do with it. Listen, life sucks. Life is hard. Everyone in this world, in our community, everyone sitting around you right now is struggling in some way. Life is is hard. And so there's Zacchaeus is, raising a mug and laughing and getting others to laugh. And yet deep down inside, people cannot see the darkness and the pain that is eating him up. He needs something more. He knew he could not hold it together much longer. He needed some sort of change. And maybe, just maybe God has something to do with that. Maybe you can relate to that journey. It's a lot, my journey. I was not really a church kid. We went to church occasionally, like Christmas and Easter. Uh, There were periods, my family was a mess. There were periods, though, we were in counseling and trying to be a good family. (laughs) That was a joke. uh, But during that time, we went to counseling and and, uh, we'd make a spurt phase where we go to church for a bit by and large i was not a church kid when we did go to church it was about religion it really wasn't about jesus Uh, but and i would say our gods were really not jesus but our gods were money and sex probably very similar to zacchaeus's lifestyle we we look good on the outside i was a silver spoon kid grew up in rich suburbia and uh gifted and and so people would think man he's got it and i'll tell you what I had a miserable life. I had a miserable family. I was crumbling inside. Uh, I was suicidal. I was, I was a mess. I was just a mess. My soul ate. And I thought, man, there's maybe, there's gotta be something more. Maybe God has something to do with that. And, and so I think Zacchaeus was in that spot. And, and suddenly there comes Jesus walking through his town. And there's something different about Jesus. Some say he's the Messiah. Uh, and, and, and so uh, Jesus is clearly different. And one of the ways he knew that right away is Jesus is swamped by people. Like people are all around him because Jesus is attractive. Now notice, synagogue wasn't attractive. Okay? Like, like religion and law and guilt and shame. Nope, don't like that. No bueno. But people were flocking to Jesus. So you got to understand, God is not repulsive. God is very attractive. And when God comes in the flesh, very, very attractive. And so here's Jesus, and justice, and truth, and love, and mercy, and grace. They're just flowing out of him. And the crowd's just like, like a magnet, just sucked to Jesus. And there's all these people. And it is packed. And you can't even get a peek at Jesus. Especially if you're not a wee little man. Like, if you're a wee little man... Uh, you can't you can't crane your neck enough you can't see over the crowd and so there's a problem so what does he do he's desperate he has to see jesus so he runs ahead and he climbs up a sycamore tree now here's a picture of a sick this is not an american sycamore this is in israel okay it's an old one what do you notice about it low branches not kidding. Like, scholars spill a lot of ink. Like, why is it important that it's a sycamore tree? Well, there's this kind of berry, and it's kind of bitter and all that. I think it's humor. I think it's low branches. Because there's no way Zacchaeus is getting up another tree. Right? Like, here you go, buddy. Let me give you a boost. And, and so Zacchaeus, listen, uh, he, he is at a point where he is desperate. Remember, he'd be the most hated guy in the town, and he happens to be short. You know there were short jokes being made behind his back had to be right now he runs it was not in that culture undignified for a man to run shameful for a man to climb a tree kids did that not, not men and he climbs a tree and then the crowd comes by and you gotta know it's like dude you're making it too easy for him right like hey Zacchaeus need a boost little guy right can you see now little buddy do you need to climb up to another branch Zacchaeus doesn't care He doesn't care. He runs and he climbs. And this tells us something about Zacchaeus. He has hit that point where the ache in his soul is way more important than the voice of the crowd. Do you hear that? He hit the point where the ache in his soul is more important than the voice of the crowd. Maybe you can relate. You might not be a short tax collector. I don't know. Maybe you are. Anyone? No? Okay. Um, You might not be a short tax collector, but you might be desperate. You might be looking good on the outside. You might be crumbling on the inside. You have to get to that point. Listen, before Jesus came into your life, there was a crowd. In fact, there's a crowd right now, and you care what they think. Now, you might be one of those people, I don't care what people think. Bull crap. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But you have to get to that point where the ache in your soul is more important than the voice of the crowd, where you just don't care about them anymore. And fine, let them call me a Jesus freak. Fine, let them call me a Bible thumper. I have to run to God. I have to resolve this ache in my soul. And I think Zacchaeus was getting to that point. Now, at this point, though, he, he's, not, he's curious, but he's not committed. I guess I think he's still at that point. Where he's like, listen, I ain't going to be one of them disciples following Jesus around town to town. That ain't happening. But I'm curious. I got, I got to get a, a peek. So I'm just going to observe Jesus from a safe distance. Here's the problem. While you think you're seeking Jesus, what if Jesus is seeking you? And that's what happened. So let's look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus is surrounded by people. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. He could have just walked right on by. He didn't. Instead, this is a God encounter. Remember, Zacchaeus is curious. He kept a safe distance. He's up in a tree. And then Jesus stops right underneath him, looks up right into Zacchaeus' eyes, and he calls him by name. Can you imagine his heart just stopping? I think some of you can, because I think this has happened to some of you, where you've tried to observe Jesus from a safe distance. Like maybe that you came into church, And you're like, I'm just going to get a peek at what's going on. Maybe you've heard the hype. Maybe you've seen enough blue R's on the back of cars, right? Uh, Maybe you've been ticked off by the traffic. This literally has happened. Where people like, they don't want anything to do with church, but all this traffic, and they go, I wonder what's going on here. they pull in, they come in, and God spoke to them. And they thought they'd just take a peek from a safe distance. But sometimes people come up after services and they'll say, hey, pastor, Say to Jared, all the other pastors as well, but hey pastor, it's like you were speaking directly to me today. And I always use my stock joke. It's because I stalk you on Facebook. (laughs) Which is just, one a stupid joke. But secondly, it's just not true. Because what actually happened in that moment is God encountered your life. Like, You weren't just seeking God, God was seeking you. What happened is you thought you'd just sneak into church and watch from a distance in a sycamore tree out in the street and God stopped right underneath you. He looked up into your eyes and he called you by name. And your heart stopped. What if you're not so much seeking God as God is seeking you? Jesus called him by name. Now, listen, that means... Zacchaeus might not know who Jesus is, but Jesus knows exactly who Zacchaeus is. I want you to savor that thought for a moment. The the God of the universe knows your name. We're talking the God who thought up light, dreamed up the colors of the rainbow, determined the speed of light, determined the force of gravity. 9.8 meters per second squared. I remember that, man. Anyway, the one who spoke and flung it all into existence, he knows your name. That's crazy. And he stopped under your stupid sycamore tree and he looked up into your eyes and he called your name. It's so cool. Now, why why did he do that? Well, evidently he wants relationship with you. Notice what he said, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. There's a crowd around Jesus. How many people do you think would be willing for Jesus to be a guest in their home? Think Jesus was hard up for a place to stay? No, I must stay at your house today. What he's saying is, listen, Zacchaeus, we're not going to do this on the street. We're not going to do this in the square. I'm invading your life, Zacchaeus. I came for you. I want in your life. I want to fix that soul ache. I must stay in your house today. He is an invading God. He's not playing games. He came for you. And Jesus will never be satisfied with your religious games in a sycamore tree hovering over the street. No, no, no. He came to be the centerpiece in your life. I must stay in your house today. I imagine in that moment, Zacchaeus is like a deer in the headlights, right? Eyes wide as saucers. But he has a decision to make. So Jesus says, come down and, and let me into your life. Now he could have said, no, I'm just looking. I say that all the time, by the way, Like. I don't go to malls that often, but when I do, you, go, you know you go into the store and there's somebody at the front, an employee there, and I'm like, hey, how can I help you, sir? I'm just looking. Because I'm a man on a mission. I know what I want. I don't want people bothering me, right? i got to get stuff and get out, right? But perhaps if you tell me what size you are, I'm just looking, right? Well, the men's section is, I'm just looking. What if Zacchaeus said, Jesus, I'm just looking. Instead, what it says is that he received him joyfully. He's an outsider. He's not a church kid. And now, now, he's received Jesus joyfully. That means he's now in relationship with Jesus. That is a cool, cool journey. But not everybody's a fan. (laughs) Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So the good religious people are pretty sure that Jesus came for the good religious people. I mean, Jesus, can't you just focus on the good church kids? Can't you just protect my kid at college? Can't you just forget about the lost ones, guys like Zacchaeus? Just take care of us and our family, because this is family-oriented Christianity, Lord. Can't you just do that? Now, Zacchaeus, he evidently didn't really care. He's not listening to the critics at that moment. He was too consumed with the fact that the Lord of heaven and earth was standing in his home. Think about it. Life himself invaded his life. And in that moment, his soul that had been aching for so long, I mean, life isn't perfect, but his soul was no longer aching because Jesus was right there. So what happens? (laughs) So the greedy, traitor, tax collector, starts giving money away like crazy. So he gives half of his wealth, boom, done, gives it away. That's the starting point. Then he says, if I've defrauded anyone, if he's a tax collector, right? So, so I will restore it fourfold. Now the law required that you had to restore it and give a fifth, 120%. He says, I'm gonna give everyone 400%. This would bankrupt him. This would clearly bankrupt, bankrupt Zacchaeus. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus was not hurt by his giving in the least. No, no, no. There's no sense in this of duty and guilt and obligation and a sense of shame. No, this is joy and freedom. He is free for the first time in his life. Why? Because he found something better than money. The Lord of life is in his home right there. Zacchaeus did not get ripped off. He traded up. And he's free. It's so cool. It's amazing change. But notice something about how it happened. Do you see in the passage where Jesus starts giving moral instruction or religious preaching or shame? None of that's in there. There's no scolding. Instead, what did Jesus do? He moved into Zacchaeus' life. Connected with him in relationship. And change happened. The point there is that Jesus is a game changer. Moralism and religion change nothing. Jesus changes everything. He is a game changer. He brings change wherever he goes. And so if you don't have change, you likely don't have Jesus. In that case, you're probably still in a sycamore tree hanging over the street saying, just looking, just from a distance. You're meeting Jesus from a distance. He's not in your home. Listen, you might have Christianity in that case, but you don't have Christ. Because Jesus is a game changer. And he loves it. Like Look, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There it is. So Jesus said three things. First, he said salvation came to this house. You know what's happening in that moment? Jesus is celebrating Jesus is cheering. Jesus is giddy. Jesus is rejoicing. Jesus loves redemption stories. He absolutely loves them. It's what he does. And he wanted Zacchaeus, and he's got him. And Jesus is like, Jesus is pumped. Salvation came to this house today. And then he calls him a son of Abraham. (laughs) Now that's interesting. A son of Abraham. Listen, Remember, Zacchaeus is like he's an outsider. He's not a church kid. Son of Abraham means he's a Jew. The Jews would have wanted to say he's no Jew to us. Jesus is saying, he's with me. He's with me. He's no longer an outsider. He's with me. And then then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Make no mistake, that's Jesus' mission. He's just stated it very, very plainly for us, his church. That's his mission. He's not screwing around. He's on mission. He stated it plainly. His mission is not just to protect and maintain the good church kids. That's not it. He said, I came for the lost ones. And the crowd gasped like, no way. Like, Jesus, Jesus is going into the house of one of those people. And Jesus gasps in return and says, what the heck did you think I came to do? Don't you get it? That's why I came. To seek and to save the lost. That's it. Reminded me of an interaction I heard about. Russell Moore talked about an interaction. He was with a group of leaders in uh, in the Christian church in America. They were with a guy named Dr. Carl Henry. Maybe you recognize his name, uh, Dr. Henry was a huge figure for American Christianity throughout the 1900s. It's a big deal, right? And uh, Moore said that this crowd. Well, let, let me let me read you in his own words. He said, "Several of us were lamenting the miserable shape of the church about so much doctrinal vacuity." When's the last time you used the phrase doctrinal vacuity? I haven't. But they're, they're sad about the state of the church. Doctrinal vacuity, vapid preaching, non-existent discipleship. We asked Dr. Henry if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. Uh, time out. Um, you hear that word, and I've got I to help you hear this correctly. Th- that's a theological term in this case, not a political term. Okay, and so keep that in mind as we go throughout this. So so is there any hope for the church? And and he says, I will never forget his reply. Why you speak as though Christianity were genetic. Of course there is hope for the next generation of evangelicals. But the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was going to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis, a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, a profanity spewing hip hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. And I would just add, the next Tim Keller might be a Michigan fan right now. <laughs> you don't know the power of Jesus to overcome evil, right? No idea. No idea. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And when he gets a hold of a non-church kid, look out. Because sometimes those first generation Christians understand grace at a level that's just cool. And they're addicted to it. And I I can see myself in a lot of these journeys that we're looking at. I can certainly see myself in this one. I I am a first-generation Christian. Um, You guys know that about me. And i got to tell you honestly, I am so glad that Jesus stopped underneath my stupid sycamore tree and looked up into my eyes and called me by name. I'm still in awe of that moment. <clears throat> now, maybe it's your journey too. Uh, maybe you're one who you weren't a church kid, but, but Jesus looked in your eyes and called you by name. Maybe, just maybe that's happening for some of you right now. That you came in just to take a safe peek from a safe distance and yet God is calling your name and you can hear it in your heart. Or maybe, just maybe some of you, a lot of you are probably good church kids. But you came to Jesus. i got—I got to let you know, I've got two kids that grew up in church. Those are great stories too. Those are redemption stories. Jesus gets giddy about those too. But hear me clearly. Now we join him on his mission to seek and to save the lost. We're going to do kingdom-oriented Christianity, not family-oriented Christianity. We're going to join Jesus on his great, wild, adventurous mission to seek and save the lost. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you very, very much uh, for the way that you have kindly invaded our lives and stopped under our stupid sycamore trees and looked up into our eyes and called us by name and you weren't satisfied to dabble in religion from a distance in a street but you wanted to invade our lives you invited yourself into our homes Father, I pray, thanking you that you gave me the gift of faith. I pray for those who would be wrestling with that decision right now. Do they say, no, I'm just looking? Or do they welcome you in? I pray every last one of us, Lord, would have the the glorious gift of having you in our lives. But then, Father, we would not stop there whether we grew up in church or not, if we're in you, that we would join your great mission to seek and to save the lost. Father, thank you for folding us into it. And we pray in Christ's name.